Lessons on Presumption from Genesis chapter 20 verses 1 through 18. This message by Pastor Rod Harris was delivered at Trinity Baptist Church on Wednesday evening, June the 16th, 2021. Okay, let's uh, have a word of prayer together and then we'll move through our Bible study tonight. Father, thank you for your mercies and kindness. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time together in your word tonight, that we might be encouraged and strengthened. Uh, Lord, I just pray that our times together on Wednesday would just be a time of encouragement and reinforcement to carry us through the rest of the week. Lord, tonight, open our minds and hearts to the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's one of those dreams, and I'm sure you've had these type of dreams too. It's, the, it's that dream that wakes you up because it's the dream that you get exposed to the entire world for the fool that you actually are. Mine goes something like this. Somehow, I get on Jeopardy. And every category is a Bible category, and I don't know nothing. And I'm introduced as pastor, and I'm just standing there dumbfounded, never hitting my button because I don't know anything. You notice how easy those shows are when there's nothing at stake? I mean, if you're sitting in your recliner in the safety of your living room, you're brilliant. And you, you answer all the questions and you're thinking to yourself, this guy's an idiot. I don't know how he even got it on the show. I mean, these questions are easy. Now, of course, truth is you've been wrong on a lot of the questions. and that, That's not the point. You, you got a lot of them right. One of the things I appreciate about the scripture is its honesty. Uh, it's honesty in revealing to us the character of the, the heroes of the faith. That here he was, a man admired by us. Uh, he's a man that is well thought of by three of the world's great religions. And yet he's revealed for exactly what he is. A frail child of dust. A fallen son of Adam. And so we can learn from his experience some important lessons. And one of the things we need to learn from the life of Abraham is the danger of presumption. Because presumption can lead to great embarrassment or something much worse than that. Abraham's story is found in Genesis starting at chapter 11 and going all the way through chapter 25. It's, it's a major portion. Uh, tonight we're going to look at Genesis chapter 20 and focus on the entire chapter. It's just 18 verses long. So we've thought about Abraham's life. We remember him beginning as Abram, living down in Ur of the Chaldees, and uh, more than likely a part of an idolatrous family. Uh, it may well be that his family were important people in the worship of the moon god, but uh, the invisible god of the Hebrews appears to him and says, uh, you need to leave here and go to a place I'm going to show you. And we talked about how difficult that would be because he's got to leave his home. He's got to leave his culture. He's got to leave his family. He's got to leave everything he's ever known. And, you know, part of the problem when you and I are looking at Scripture is we, we tend to think that, oh, things were so bad back then that you'd just be glad to get out of there and go anywhere. But where he was living was a very cultured area. 
they had a lot of conveniences, and there were postal systems and, and irrigation systems, and all it's a very sophisticated world that he was living in, and he's being told, head out to the desert and just keep going, and when you finally get where I want you to be, I'll tell you you're there. Now, I know how I am. Uh, I would more likely respond if the Lord came to me and said, uh, here's the map, this is where you're going, and this is what the place is like, and this is what you could expect. I, I, I would have a hard time saying, okay, I'll start walking, and I'll just keep walking until you say stop. But Abraham believed. And one of the things we appreciate about Abraham was his ability to believe. We saw the call of God. Leave everything you've ever known and follow me. We watched then as God blessed him in spite of himself. In spite of his actions. In spite of some of the foolish things that he did. God's blessing was upon him. We saw that he and Lot, had his nephew, had joined forces. They got to the point that God had blessed them, and they needed to separate. They, they, they got too big for each other, and there needed to be that separation. We heard the promises of God again and again, saying to Abram, I'm going to make you the father of a multitude. And he kept talking to him about children and descendants and there being as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on the, the seashore. And he has no children. And yet God keeps saying, you're going to have children, you're going to have children. You're going to have... He doesn't see any kids coming. Oh, it's hard. It's difficult. But he believed God. And then we saw that moment when he and his wife, Sarah, decided they needed to help the plan along. They were going to help the Lord out, and they developed this plan of having a child through her handmaid, Hagar, and foolishly thought they could bring about the will of God in their own strength and power. And then we saw the downfall of Lot. Lot first looked in the direction of Sodom, and then later he moved toward Sodom, and and uh, pitched his tent near Sodom. But then the next time we read, uh, he comes up in the story, he's now living in Sodom. And then the next time we come across him, he's sitting in the city gate, which means he's taking a leadership role there. This righteous man who is living in this godless, wicked city, and God graciously came and delivered him and his family, and, and we've seen all of that. Tonight we're going to look again at God's grace extended to a man who did not deserve it. God's call and God's blessing on the life of Abraham was a matter of grace from beginning to end. It, it was the grace of God extended to him. Not something owed. Not something that, that he had coming to him because he was such a great man of faith. Many things he did was, was, was like us. He was a frail child of dust. And a fallen son of Adam. And so that means sometimes he did really stupid things. And we're going to see an example of that tonight out of chapter 20. And I have to be honest. Genesis chapter 20 is another one of those troubling passages. Um, we're going to find him lying again about his relationship with Sarah. Well, that's, that's my sister. And tells her now when we go in this area and they start asking questions... Just remember, you're my sister. You're not my wife. So we're going to see him doing that again. There's questions that are raised. There are, there are questions that come to my mind that are ethical questions. Yeah, there's another question because I read this and then I read, and this comes on the heels of reading the end of chapter 19 with 
Lot's daughters and they're getting their father drunk and then laying with him and getting pregnant by their own father and all of that. I read the end of Genesis 19, then I read chapter 20, and it makes me wonder, did the Apostle Paul actually read these passages before he wrote that all Scripture is profitable and, and helpful for doctrine and reproof? But I look at what he does in chapter 20 and I ra it raises a question in my mind, how can this be? How does this happen in, in the life of a godly person? How is it that, that he could have such faith? How is it that he could believe God so that he's willing to turn his back on his culture, his family, his context, everything he's ever known, and just head out for a place that God's going to show him? How can he exhibit great faith at certain points and then turn around and do something like this? I don't understand that. And then I take an honest look at my own life and I say, well... Maybe I can understand that. Maybe because I see the, the same kind of weaknesses in my own life. That despite the blessing of God, despite the promises of God, despite the faithfulness of God over a lifetime, I still do stupid things. I stumble and I fall and I'm weak and stumbling in my faith. So uh, as I look at it from that perspective, I see it a little bit differently. But this is one of those passages that when you work through books like I like to do, uh, you come to these and you say, I think I'll just go on to chapter 21. I think I'll just skip over this. But see, the problem is, whenever I do something like that, one of you comes up to me afterwards and says, hey, how come you just skipped over that whole thing? Because I've even done it with a little passage, a verse or two that I might have not talked about, and somebody says, how come you skipped that verse? So I can't afford to just skip the whole chapter, so I'm going to have to deal with it. But I'm also going to deal with it because I think there's some important stuff for us. I think there's an important lesson for us, even out of this story, this example of a stumbling saint, uh, an example for us out of this man who stumbled in his faith, trying to live the life that God's called him to. And the, the, the lesson for us is about the danger of presumption. Abraham found himself in a predicament because he made a presumption. Because he assumed some things, he got himself in trouble. Can any of you relate to that? Can any of you relate to a time in your life when you made some assumptions about things and then as it worked out, all your assumptions were wrong? Uh, it is a dangerous thing to presume. It's a dangerous thing to assume and Genesis 20 is going to help us with that. Here's the thing I want us to see as we work our way through. The sin of presumption can prove disastrous for us and for others. So it's not just that it's a problem with us. It's not just that it affects our lives, but it's the way our presumption will not only affect our life, but affect others. You and I need to understand that we do not sin in isolation. It's never a matter that, that my actions, my sin, my disobedience is only going to affect me and my life. It affects everyone I'm, I'm connected to. And we are all connected to one another. And so my failures, my presuming that leads down a wrong path, that causes me to act in a certain way, has repercussions. It's that rippling that moves out and begins to touch and affect the lives of others. It's what we see here. Now the events of chapter 20 and chapter 21 take place while Abraham is living among the Philistines. 
Again, keeping in mind that throughout his life, we've seen some inconsistency. God calls him and he's not afraid to take a step of faith and follow God. That's an amazing thing. That's one of the reasons why he's called the friend of God, because he believed God. God called on him to do something. God made promises and he believed. He put his faith, he put his trust in that. And because of that, Paul tells us in Galatians, it was credited, it was counted to him as righteousness. And it's for those reasons he was known as the friend of God. He wasn't afraid to follow God even in a difficult circumstance. He wasn't afraid to stand in front of kings in chapter 14. He wasn't afraid even to challenge God in chapter 18. To speak back, to dare I ask you, what, what about this? It, it, what if there are ten righteous? And he argues with God uh, in that passage in chapter 18. But now he's afraid. <laughs> after all of that, after all of those examples of, of just strong, uh, vibrant faith, the kind of faith that we want to emulate, the kind of faith that we want to strive for, the kind of faith that's set out in Scripture for us as an example, in spite of the fact that he's exhibited that kind of faith on a fairly consistent basis, there are also glaring failures like the one here. Now, I'm not, about, I'm not sure how you look at that or how you feel about it, but I have to say I'm greatly encouraged by that. I'm encouraged because it makes me think if God can use Abraham in, a, in the great way that he did, if God can do the things that God did through this man Abraham despite his inconsistencies, despite his glaring failures, then maybe there's hope. Maybe there's hope that God can do something with me. Maybe there's hope that God can work through me. In spite of the quirks and the character flaws. Because our God loves to confound the mighty with the not so mighty. He delights in confounding the wise with the foolish. I want us to look at three things as we work our way through. First of all, Abraham failed to recognize the depth of his own depravity. How do we start down this road? How, how do we get to the point that we fall into the sin of presumption? One way is that we fail to recognize the depth of our own depravity. Verse 1 of chapter 20 says, From there Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said to Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you've taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He's my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he may pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours." So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. 
Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God in all this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place in which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where you please. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who, will be with, who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. And Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female servants, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wounds of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So, the first problem, the first thing that leads down this path is a failure to recognize the depth of his own depravity. This is the second time... Abraham's done this. We read about it back in chapter 12. Remember there was a famine and they went down to Egypt to seek relief there and he did the same thing. He said to Sarah, now when we get there, you're a beautiful woman. So tell them you're my sister. If anybody asks, you're my sister. And so that's what they did. And Pharaoh at that point took her as his wife and the same thing, God's judgment. And so you'd think he'd learn the lesson, but he doesn't because here he is reverting back to the same old trick, the same old uh, problem. He's repeating the same sin. And that's, that's amazing to me because he's been walking with God. Because he's seen the hand of God. He's experienced the blessing of God. He's known what it is to believe. And he's known how God has been faithful to him when he did believe. And he's experienced the blessing of God throughout. So it's not a matter that he's just now leaving Ur. There's a lot of time that has passed. There's, there's a lifetime of walking with God and experiencing grace. And yet here he is. Struggling to understand. Struggling to believe. Struggling to trust. This is why Martin Luther insisted on using the phrase similis justus et peccator, at the same time justified in a sinner, at the same time righteous and sinful. Uh, he is not what God wants him to be. He is not what God has called him to be and demands him to be. He is justified. He is accepted by faith because of his trust in him, but he's struggling. And part of that struggle, at least, is his not accepting, not understanding the wickedness of his own heart. This is where we need to understand that our security rests in the Lord. Our security, our confidence as the people of God rests in Christ and not in what we've accomplished. Not in how much we've grown. Because as long as we are this side of heaven, we are in the process of being made righteous. We're not there yet. We're in the process of being sanctified. We are growing in holiness. We are growing in righteousness. But we are far from righteous. 
Our righteousness is in Christ. Our justification is God has declared us right because of Christ and the righteousness of Christ imputed to us or placed in our account. In spite of the repeated promise, Abraham reached back into his old bag of tricks to handle this situation. He failed to see the depravity of his own life. At best, we have to say that he's playing loose with the truth. I think it's safe to say that he assumed his superiority to the Philistine. I, I think it's safe to assume that Abraham's attitude is, well, I'm in a unique relationship. God and I are like this, and so I can do whatever. Uh, he found out otherwise. The second thing I want us to know, Abraham assumed the worst concerning the Philistines. He didn't understand the depravity of his own life. He failed to recognize his own sinfulness, his own wickedness, his own lack. But he presumed the wickedness of the Philistines. And I think far too often you and I can identify with that as well. He assumed that they were corrupt and godless. Now, let's be fair. His presumption, his assuming they were wicked and godless didn't come out of a vacuum. There was some context. They, they were a, a pagan people. The problem is Abraham believed these are pagans and I am righteous. The problem is when you and I think of ourselves in terms of I am so far above and superior to these godless people surrounding me. The truth of the matter is apart from the grace and mercy of God I am no better than anybody else. Left to myself I deserve the same judgment the same wrath that the worst sinner in this town can expect. He assumed the worst and he acted upon that. He allowed that to guide his steps. In fact, when he's asked about it, he says up front, plainly in verse 11, I did this because I thought there is no fear of God in all this place and they'll kill me because of my wife. I honestly, I thought there is no righteous people here. There's, there's absolute godlessness here. That was my assumption. That's what I believed. The problem is Abraham isn't demonstrating a fear of God. He, he, he's not viewing himself in light of the character of God and the nature of God so he sees himself rightly. He assumes a superior position. The problem is, Abimelech, the pagan king, proved to be more righteous than righteous Abraham. Look at what the king said to him. Verses 4 and 5. He says to the Lord, Will you kill an innocent man? Did he not say to me, She's my sister? And she herself said, He's my brother? With the integrity of the heart and uh, the innocence of my hand, I've done this. I haven't done anything wrong. And what's the Lord's response? 
I know you haven't done anything wrong. And if you follow what I tell you to do, you're going to escape my judgment. You, you will not go under. You will not experience my wrath. But notice what the Lord says to him. I know you're innocent in this, but you're innocent in this because I kept you from doing it. I kept you from sinning. I kept you from having relations with her. I, by grace, I in mercy protected you, a pagan king. It's a dangerous thing when we begin to presume and yet not inquire of the Lord before we act. You and I are called to do all that we do for the glory of God. We're called to live our lives before the face of God. And it's a dangerous thing when we think, no, I don't need to do that. It's too clear. It's too obvious in this circumstance. I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I know I'm better than these folks. No, we have to live our life before the face of God. And if we live before the face of God, we are constantly reminded of our weakness and our failure. And it brings about a humility. The last thing I want to point out is the fact that Abraham failed to trust the extent of God's sovereignty. It's one thing to confess the sovereignty of God. It's one thing to say, oh, I absolutely believe that the God of the Bible is a sovereign God. He created everything. He holds all things together by the power of His might. And it's a great thing when you and I sing the songs and we stand tall and testify in the church service or the Sunday school class and declare our absolute confidence in the sovereignty of God. But the real test is do we live our life reflecting our belief in the sovereignty of God? Do we make the decisions we make and do the things we do because we're confident God is sovereign? Or do we say, well, this, this circumstance is a little dicey. So I think I better do this. I think I better do that. Because if I don't do it this way, then they may harm me. They may kill me. I, he's not trusting in the Lord. Taking matters into our own hands shows a lack of trust in God's control. Abraham's narrow, limited Self-centered focus is what caused his problem. One of the things that the biblical record makes clear, and you look at the dealings of God with, with Abraham and the surrounding nations, and you look at God's dealing with the nation Israel as they move into the land of promise and so forth, uh, one of the messages that's made abundantly clear over and over again is that Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, is no small tribal deity. You know, as, we're, as we're working our way through the book of Judges, you have those who follow Baal because Baal's the god of this territory. And then you find this group, well, this is our god. Dagon is our god. They, they got their own god that controls their little area. And the thing that is thundered through the pages of Scripture is our god is not some small, petty, tribal deity. He's the sovereign lord of heaven and earth. He's the creator of everything that exists. And uh, that means... There's not a single maverick molecule anywhere in the whole universe. He is sovereignly in control of everything. 
How do we we reflect that in the way we live? Uh, When we live in obedience to His Word, regardless of what it may cost us. Well, if I take this stance, I could lose my job. And? If I take this job, I could lose my reputation. And? If I, if I take this job, it may, if I take this stand, it may cause this problem within my family. And? Do we trust in the sovereignty of God or not? Do we believe that if I walk in obedience to Him, He'll take care of everything like He said He would? When, when he said, I will supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory, was he first serious about that? Did he really mean it? And second, is he capable? It's a matter of sovereignty, whether I trust in the sovereignty of God or not. I, I show, I demonstrate, I prove my trust in the sovereignty of God when I order my life according to his word, regardless of what the consequences may be. problem is, Abraham's actions reflected that while he believed God, uh, he also trusted in his ingenuity. He trusted in his instinct. He trusted in his wisdom. Ah, we just tell him you're my sister. And then when he gets caught, did you notice what he did? Well, I asked, technically now she is my sister. I mean, that's why I say when I say, at best, he's playing loose with the truth. He also, by his actions, to me, I can't read it any other way, it, it seems that only Abraham mattered in the world. He's even willing to, 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 to allow his wife to be taken into another man's family so that he's not harmed. That... That doesn't put him on a pedestal. <laughs> that, that's not the verse we want to go to and say, oh, look at this great man of faith who believed. It was a selfish, petty, self-preserving, self-centered act that refused to believe. So the great man of faith exhibited great unbelief in this story. And his actions caused doubt and confusion, no doubt, for those who were in his family, those who were in his circle of influence, and it cost his credibility. But our text reminds us that in spite of Abraham's lack of faith, God was firmly in control. I mean, just look at the evidence in this chapter. God was in control of Abimelech's dreams. God was in control of Abimelech's actions. God was in control of Sarah's position. God was in control of Abraham's ministry. And God was in control of Abimelech's family and their health. In other words, God was sovereign in everything that was going on here. Abraham's making decisions. He's trying to figure out the best way to play this out and the, the best way to get through this circumstance. Oh, we're going to be here for a sojourn. We're going to be here for a short time. Let's tell him you're my sister. Let's get through this, and then we'll figure out the next step. Uh, instead of understanding, he served a sovereign God who was in control of everything. The things seen and the things unseen. The things understood and the things not understood. Presumption is a dangerous thing. The sin of presumption can be a dangerous thing for us and for others. We need to recognize our own depravity. We're, we're not better uh, 
than other people. We need to not assume the worst in others while we assume the best in us. But most of all, we need to consistently trust in the sovereignty of God and say, whatever, wherever I am, whatever I'm called to do, whatever the consequence, God is sovereign and he's worthy of my trust. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your kindness and mercy. I'm grateful, Lord, for uh, the way that you've made yourself known, the way you've revealed yourself to us. And it's such an encouragement because we look at our own weakness and failures. We look at our own uh, stumbling along. And there are times when we think, I think I've finally figured it out. I think I'm finally on the path. I think I'm finally uh, living the way I should be living. And, and about the time we get proud of how much we've achieved and where we are, we do something stupid and we stumble and we fall. And Lord, it's an encouragement to be reminded in your word that you're faithful even when we're faithless. That you are loving and consistent and faithful. And you who began the good work in us will complete it. And you will get us safely home. Lord, grant us faith to believe. Grant us courage to live and order our lives according to your word. That we might live to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the TBC Tulsa podcast which features the preaching ministry of Pastor Rod Harris at Trinity Baptist Church, located at the corner of 41st and Union in Tulsa, Oklahoma. To learn more about Trinity Baptist Church, visit us on the web at www.tbctulsa.org.